this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast with me amit barua your host for this episode pakistan goes to the polls on the 8th of february to elect members of what will be its 16th lower house or national assembly The polls come just as former Prime Minister Imran Khan has been convicted in two successive cases and stands debarred from contesting elections. His party, the Pakistan Tehreek-e-Insaf or PTI as it is known, is fighting with its back to the wall. Pakistan Muslim League leader Nawaz Sharif fancies his chances of becoming Prime Minister for an unprecedented fourth term. Many analysts believe that he has the blessings of the army establishment on this occasion. The Pakistan People's Party of Bilawal Bhutto and Asif Zardari is also in the electoral fray with Bilawal Bhutto training his guns on Nawaz Sharif. A far-right Islamist party, the Tehreek-e-Labaik Pakistan could cut votes of mainstream parties. It is a party to be watched. To discuss the intricacies of elections in Pakistan, I am joined from Karachi by Shahzeb Jilani, co-host of Dawn TV's current affairs show Zara Hatke. He's also worked with the BBC. Welcome to the In Focus podcast, Shahzeb. Thank you, Amit. Pleasure to be here. So, Shahzeb, uh, please run us through who you believe are the main contenders uh, uh, in the upcoming elections. Well, the main contender is supposed to be Imran Khan, but he's in jail. Uh, he's been convicted. He's facing prison terms. uh so he's uh, effectively been eliminated from the electoral race his party uh, has also been denied the the right to contest these elections uh and that leaves our traditional legacy parties which is uh, as you said nawaz sharif's party and asif zardari's party they are basically uh, now quite active uh, they are having their public gatherings uh the focus is punjab province of course because uh, as you may know in pakistan's uh, parliamentary democracy punjab is the biggest province it has the most number of seats and it is generally believed that whoever wins punjab uh, wins pakistan uh so that is why a lot of focus is there uh, traditionally we've seen in the last 10 years uh, the khyber pakhtunkhwa province which borders afghanistan uh, emerged as the stronghold of Imran Khan uh, so what we as journalists are focusing on are these two provinces Punjab for its uh, obviously the significance and Khyber Pakhtunkhwa to see uh, how it reacts to candidates minus PTI Imran Khan's PTI because that's his uh, stronghold and with his party now decimated uh, basically divided into three different smaller groups uh it will be interesting to see how the staunch supporters of Imran Khan react over there and uh, is it true that many of his party candidates are contesting as independents that's right that's because the the election commission and then the supreme court said that Imran Khan's party failed to organize internal elections which is kind of a bureaucratic requirement essentially Uh, for all political parties uh, imran khan's party did not take it seriously and when they were really pressed they just kind of had a sham election and that became the basis 
for the party being uh, not allowed to contest. And so what they've done is they have asked their candidates to contest elections as independent. Uh, the problem that causes is that uh, the, the party has lost its electoral symbol, the bat, uh, which, you know, which Imran Khan uh, basically campaigned on in the last few elections. Um, and according to many people here, that causes confusion for his supporters because virtually in every constituency, they've been given these random election uh, election symbols like you know in some places they have a donkey cart or an eggplant or a peacock or a wheelchair and in a country where literacy rate is low especially in rural areas this was seen as an attempt by our state institutions to cause confusion uh, among Imran Khan supporters uh, but the people we've been talking to in the last few days they are saying look this is a digital age this is the age of social media so they've drawn up a list of every constituency and their uh, preferred candidate, and they are quietly campaigning uh, to say, you know, you need to come out in greater numbers to fight this, and you need to vote for the candidate that uh, PTI has uh, is supporting, basically. Tadeb, uh, you mentioned about the digital the digital age. A lot is being made of the social media campaign of the PTI and including some apparently AI-generated speeches of Imran Khan. So how do you see this election? I mean, do you see uh, social media playing a big role in the election, you know, and the kind of campaign that the PTI is leading? Is it having an impact? So Imran Khan's party, as you might know, has led the way in using digital technology, social media technology in the last decade or so. They, he was the first one to organize a Google Hangout. He has used effectively social media to project his point of view. Often it becomes uh, propaganda, vilification campaigns, trolling, but the PTI machinery has been very effective. And that's because uh, he appeals to young people. And young people do not necessarily relate to legacy parties and, and uh, legacy leaders. So that is seen as a strength of PTI. In this particular election, when the party uh, has been facing a state crackdown. Many of the leaders were jailed. They were forced to ditch the party. Uh, Imran Khan himself is in jail. Uh, there are court cases against them. I mean, it is a full-blown state crackdown to decimate PTI politically. Uh, social media has been used as an effective weapon. So, for example, in this campaign, they have organized uh, fundraisers uh, online, They've held uh, rallies online. Two days ago, uh, they were going to have a meeting in Islamabad, the, uh, but the party secretariat was taken over by by men in you know plain clothes, and the guards were uh, were detained briefly. Basically, they weren't allowed to have a meeting. So then they moved online and they had a virtual meeting because their their leaders are in different places, and so a lot of their campaign is actually on social media. Uh, I've been receiving WhatsApp messages from pro-PTI people. You know, they are issuing instructions to people within the constituency. Uh, they are planning everything there. Even their candidates, the independent candidates supported by PTI, they are not allowed to campaign openly because they are either being arrested uh, or they're being attacked. Uh, for example, in Balochistan and Khaibar-Pakhtunkhwa, candidates have been attacked. Uh, so they are their activity is actually online, right? Now, it remains to be seen uh, a week from today 
how much of that really translates into the actual election day activity? My question to some of our reporters who are saying that, you know, there's a lot of sentiment, a lot of anger uh, against the establishment uh, from PTI supporters. My question was, but you need, you know, polling agents. You need mobilization on the day. In our part of the world, as you also know, in India, Pakistan, people need to be bussed in. They need transport needs to be provided. But the if the if the idea is that uh, PTI has to be completely eliminated, then I'm not sure how that will pan out. And that is the probably the only interesting thing to watch in this election: how the PTI voter goes to great lengths to to lodge their vote of protest. Shahzad, now let's move on with your permission to Nawaz Sharif and his fortunes. It's quite unprecedented, you know. In life, most people don't get more than two chances. He got a third, and now. He's managed a fourth. I mean, it's quite incredible, you know, to see the comeback and the courts falling in line and so on. So, I mean, I'm sure all this is quite familiar to, to you as a long-time watcher of Pakistan politics. How would you assess Nawaz Sharif's chances in this election? So, look, in my view, uh, once the army leadership, let's say, decided that they are fed up of Imran Khan, his transgressions are uh, unavoidable. You know, they need he needs to be punished. Basically, then they have to look at the political spectrum to see who best can counter him, uh, replace him, and uh, without any doubt, it's Nawaz Sharif because Imran Khan was brought in uh, as an alternate to Nawaz Sharif, right? And if you <laughs> if you uh, if you are breaking up, uh, you know. With, with Imran Khan and it was a very nasty breakup, you go back to your uh, candidate. And, and Nawaz Sharif does command uh, a lot of support in Punjab. Uh, a lot of it has been eroded over the last year or so because of inflation, because of uh, the way the economy was sinking, the threat of uh, default and all those things, right? But Nawaz Sharif's biggest uh, plus is that he's seen as a as a deliverer, uh, as a person who means business, who has given Pakistan, especially Punjab, uh, mega projects, you know, motorways and uh, and uh, Orange Line project in Lahore and things like that. So, and he seemed business friendly as well, right? So he uh, he commands uh, sizable support in Punjab. That's where that's where he's banking on, of course. The allegation that he's uh, he now has the military support, um, you, you know, raises questions over his uh, political philosophy, whether he really believes in civilian supremacy or not. Uh, we know from his track record that he has challenged the military before when they try to interfere in politics and foreign policy and economy. Uh, and that has cost him uh, three tenures. Three different army chiefs uh, essentially, you know, uh, got him sacked or got him removed. So, I mean, let's see. Uh, obviously, you would think that he has learned his lessons. He's more pragmatic and he will learn to share power with the military. But the nature of these things inherent is so complicated. If somebody like Imran Khan couldn't survive with the, with the, with the generals who had kind of handpicked him and brought him to power, then a leader who actually has mass support, you know, it becomes tricky. Uh, and I think the problem is not on the part of politicians, it's on the other side, which is basically, you know, which doesn't want to share power. And they are just used to dictating policy. And uh, even if a civilian politician submits, 
uh, on most points. Uh, but if they disagree on one point, then you know the, the media trial began begins, the corruption cases reopen, and then they are thrown out. It's interesting that uh, you know Nawaz Sharif is trying for a fourth time. I mean, he, you said he fell foul of three army chiefs and three very different routes were taken to oust him. And, uh, you know, given his, uh, I mean, I think uh, from the criticism that he was leveling when he was based in London or abroad against the army, he suddenly quietened down because he re realized the scenario had possibly changed. Do you think he can work with the establishment this time round if he does become prime minister? I believe he will make every effort. Which, which he also did in his previous term. I watched that, uh, that term from 2013 to 2017 uh, because I was on a news channel in Pakistan and we saw on a daily basis how uh, his government was being undermined, uh, how you know uh, stories were being fed in the media to bring him under pressure. And what I noticed during that period was that he acted very maturely he avoided being provoked and he he showed a lot of resilience and patience but i think uh, pakistan essentially you know uh, even though it's a parliamentary democracy uh, it is actually run by a few men in uniform who then also bring judges uh, to collaborate with them and when that happens uh, there's not much you can do uh, you can try and please them, reassure them, try to win them over. But once the egos are involved and personal self-interest is involved, you know, sadly, our army chiefs, uh, you know, they're appointed for three years, but they enjoy so much power and so absolute zero accountability that they invariably want to extend their, their rule and their power by another three years. Uh, and Navashari resisted that. And he said, you know, if you're retiring, you're retiring, and I'm going to appoint somebody else. Uh, but there is some institutional issue as well with elected leadership, you know. So I think Nawaz Sharif will try his best, but there are no guarantees. That's what history tells us. History tells us that not a single elected prime minister has been allowed to complete their, their term. Uh, and it begs the question, were all of them corrupt? Were all of them incompetent? Were all of them traitors? How come, you know, in a country that's meant to be a parliamentary democracy, I'm not saying that they were, they are like dead honest. I mean, they are imperfect leaders, just like in any other country, like in India or wherever. But the system, in because the system has become so dysfunctional and uh, that they, they are not allowed to complete their tenure. So I don't have high hopes. In fact, I think maybe within a year or two, uh, there will be uh points of differences especially when the term of the current army chief uh comes to expiration he would probably want an extension that's when uh maybe points of differences will emerge so i think pakistan will linger on on this very sorry path of political instability because we did see a long honeymoon between army chief bajwa and imran khan you know, they seem to be absolutely on the same page, you know, till their differences came out in the open. And it was a, quite a successful experiment, at least publicly, you know, the two, uh, the army chief and Imran Khan put up. But wh why do you think that came to an end when it did? It's interesting you say it was a successful experiment. I mean, by I mean, my at least publicly, at least publicly for, for some time, at least. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it seemed like a honeymoon, you know, uh, two people absolutely admiring each other, praising each other all the time. And some people thought maybe that's the way Pakistan can work. You, you know, it was a love affair, I would say. And we saw a nasty, nasty breakup. I mean, talk about it was the mother of all breakups. You know, you see relationships falling apart. But this was horrible because it panned out publicly. You know, uh, once they, they fell out, Imran Khan's uh, propaganda machinery just went in full-blown, willing the army chief, blaming him for everything that went wrong. Uh, the same person that Imran Khan had been praising when he was the, the prime minister, so repeatedly saying that he is the best army chief, he believes in democracy, so on and so forth. The, the point of difference, Amit, came uh, when the army chief, General Bajwa, was seeking an extension. And he he was also negotiating with uh, opposition, with uh, Nawaz Sharif's party, with People's Party. Uh, and while they disliked him, they supported him. They supported the extension, right? Going against their own principles because they wanted to create a wedge between Imran Khan and Bajwa. And Bajwa then realized that Imran Khan's uh, peculiar personality issues are also becoming unbearable. You know, he uh, his supporters say he's very determined, but others see him as very stubborn, uh, inflexible. He uh, uh, army chief was uh, encouraging him to engage with the opposition because of uh, economy on foreign policy challenges, and he consistently refused because his deeply held belief is uh, that he's holier than thou. He believes that every other politician is deeply corrupt. Uh, unworthy of engaging. And that's not how parliamentary democracy works. So in a way, Imran Khan politically isolated himself and he was relying on the army uh, and state institutions to go after his opponents. I mean, his obsession was to put everybody he dislikes in jail. And he often praised China and how corruption is handled in China. Then at some point he was praising Russia, how Putin deals with his opponents. Uh, at other times he was praising Saudi Arabia. I mean, he talked about the Riyasat Medina. So he was praising all these authoritarian uh, leaders and regimes, hardly ever talking about democracy and, you know, respecting points of differences. Uh, and I think eventually the army leadership uh, saw that they had brought in uh, a person who simply cannot be tamed. Uh, they had thought that he has a celebrity status uh, and that maybe when he's at the helm of affairs, uh, we will get funds from Saudi Arabia and other friendly countries. Uh, that did not really happen. Uh, plus his uh, interactions with, uh, for example, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, in the MBS, and the leader of Turkey. Uh, you know, these diplomatic interactions were also hugely problematic. Uh, so the army began to realize that uh, they had made a blunder. Uh, but they didn't know what to do because, uh, you know, all the other parties were accusing the army uh, uh, of uh, of this mess. So gradually, when, uh, when basically Bajwa got extension with the support of opposition, uh, he then started engaging them. And there came a point he decided, I'm going to pull my support back from Imran Khan. Let him, let's see how much of it, uh, you know, how can he carry on on his own? And it turned out that he couldn't because he... When Bajwa said the army is not going to uh, pressurize parliamentarians to come and vote for you, you have to do it on your own, he couldn't do it. 
And so his entire facade of his premiership basically fell apart uh, when all the oppositions were organically allowed to, to come together. Uh, and that's how he, he lost the government. Uh, but what was really interesting is how he then fought back. In history, we've seen Benazir Bhutto being dismissed wrongly, Nawaz Sharif. Nobody went to the extent of Imran Khan, you know, holding these massive public rallies. He was, and he was really critical of the army at that point, probably more. He, was, he went, yeah, I mean, no holds barred, right? He accused the army chief of being a traitor. He said the U.S. has conspired. And Imran Khan is really good at coming up with these conspiracy theories and his, his supporters love it. They lap it up. And he's been convicted now for a conspiracy theory as well. I mean, the cipher case and so on. So I'm now going to come to the PPP, uh, Shazib, and ask you, what are the chances of the PPP? You, you, you're based in Karachi, which is the guard of the PPP. How do you see the PPP and uh, the, the young and its young leader, Bilawal Bhutto? So uh, Bilawal Bhutto has been uh, targeting Nawaz Sharif throughout uh, this campaign, even though uh, the two parties were in coalition uh, for a year and a half after Imran Khan, and they worked uh, relatively well, right? Uh, Bilawal is basically now trying to present himself as an alternate to Nawaz Sharif, and that is why his single uh, target is PMLN, right? Because after PTI being removed from the scene, PPP is the is the alternate to to Nawaz Sharif. The problem is. Uh, the PPP does not have uh, popularity in Punjab, right? The province which essentially decides the national politics. Uh, PPP will uh, most likely retain the Sindh province, the Sindh government. They have been in government for 15 years already. Uh, now they'll go on to, to be in power in 20 years. This has never happened in Pakistan, in any province where successive, you know, uh, a, a party has won successive like three or four terms. Uh, and I think that uh, that goes to show that Asif Zardari's politics of uh, pragmatism, cutting deals, winning over opponents, eliminating competition uh, is delivering politically, uh, even though there is a lot of criticism of Bulawal's party in terms of poor governance, not delivering uh, a corruption allegation and so on and so forth. But Bilawal is also saying something else. He's saying... In Pakistan's current uh, leadership, uh, he's the youngest. He represents the young people. He's a bit like, you know, Rahul Gandhi has been struggling in, in India. But uh, but Bilawal uh, proved to be uh, uh, a dynamic foreign minister when uh, in, in the co in previous coalition government. He's very articulate. Uh, he's uh, He connects with young people on progressive causes, you know, whether it be rights of uh, religious minorities, women. Uh, uh, he takes a stand there. But the problem with People's Party is it is it is essentially run by Asif Zardari. He does the politicking. He, he's the, he does the strategy. He's the one who engages with the army uh, to cut deals. And, and Bilawal is seen as the, as the soft face, the progressive face of party. Uh, if you go out in Karachi today and you see the election uh, officers and banners, the candidates have their face on the banner. And they have uh, Zulfkar Ali Bhutto, Benazir Bhutto, and Bilawal. You will you will very rarely see Asif Zardari's face there, because Asif Zardari, in public imagination, is seen as a corrupt politician. Even though in reality he's the one who makes sure that that the PPP gets the numbers that it needs 
uh, whether it be through money and through other means. Uh, so he's the wheeler dealer. And, Nawa- and, and Bilawal is seen as the present and the future of the party. So people who go for People's Party, educated people, they are look, they try to look at Bilawal and not Zardari. Uh, but I think to answer your question very briefly, uh, the, the scenario that People's Party is looking at is that uh, uh, they will retain Sindh and they will get some seats in Khyber Pakhtunkhwa and Balochistan, so three smaller provinces, um, and uh, some faction from Punjab, anti-Nawaz faction from Punjab. It will be a tough uh, coalition, but that's the best case scenario they are hoping for. Uh, and it is something that happened in 2008 when People's Party formed the government in center, even though Nawaz Sharif's party, party was the biggest party in Punjab. And they, they decided to sit in opposition uh, and that happened. So that's what Bilawal is aiming for. We are not entirely sure that will happen. I mean, one likely scenario is that uh, Nawaz Sharif's party gets the federal government and PPP joins as a coalition partner while also ruling Sindh. Right. Before I let you go, I also want to ask you about the Tehri ke Lambai ke Pakistan. They got quite a few votes in the last uh, uh, National Assembly elections. How do you rate them? I mean, do you think they can make a difference by cutting the votes of the mainstream parties? So in the last election, uh, uh, the TLP party, Tehri ke Lambai party, was actively launched by, uh, by the powers that be, uh, precisely with the aim of dividing vote to help Imran Khan. And they uh, not only uh, they were launched, but also Hafiz Saeed. Uh, and his uh, he was also launched uh, by, by, uh, by a party, especially in Punjab, to divide PMLN uh, votes, right? And this is, again, our uh, state trying to establish uh, fault lines, religious fault lines, sectarian fault lines in the country uh, to have a very polarized polity. This time, uh, TNP is contesting, despite its history of violence and uh, religious extremism, uh, they will cause a dent in certain constituencies. Uh, but I feel that this time they don't have the kind of backing, state backing, which they did uh, in 2018. I mean, back then we saw their leader who's on a wheelchair and who is known for uh, hurling abuses in, in public rallies. Uh, that he was actually uh, given you know, top-level security. He was being escorted by army commandos. Uh, he was being facilitated to travel all over the country. And that showed us that he had the official backing, right? This time, we haven't seen that uh, more explicitly because this nexus between the extremists and the, and the uh, state institutions has been exposed. But these guys are there and they will, they will assert themselves as much as they can. And you're absolutely right. Many of their very unknown candidates got uh, votes in tens of thousands. And it was shocking. Uh, and it just showed that, you know, in Pakistan, the, the religious extremism, especially this Barelvi school of thought, how it is seeping in uh, and at some level being patronized as well. Radev Jilani, thank you so much for speaking to the Hindus in Focus podcast. I do hope that uh, you'll allow us to return to you post the 8th of February to discuss actually what has happened. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your insight and I look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you, Amit. Bye-bye. In Focus, we'll be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. 
In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.